Well, hello, podcast listeners. Today we have a special treat. We have a dual interview with Malcolm and Simone, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves a little bit to you. But I'm excited for you to learn about them, the story about how they met, what they're up to, and I think it will fit nicely with everything that this community is doing about learning, reaching, and growing into full potential. So with that very short introduction, Malcolm and Simone, why don't you introduce our listeners to you um, and maybe even just say a little bit about how you met so that folks know who they're listening to. Sure. Yes. Hi. We are Simone and Malcolm and Malmoan, as, as I like to say, a combined entity sort of now. <laughs> so it's very fun to be here and it's hard for us to really easily describe how we came to be, but I could, I could trace it back to a fateful day in spring of 2012 when I first met Malcolm. And to give some backstory, I turned 24 years old uh, that year and I decided that I was going to fall in love and have my heart broken all in one year because I had before that point never dated. I had no interest in it. I, I, I was going to live alone forever and I was very happy with that, but I still needed to know what love felt like. So I could say that I had tried it and it was underwhelming and I wasn't missing out. Um, and everything else about my life had already been figured out and was totally perfect. I traveled internationally every year and went on these pilgrimage trips to different places to try to expand my spiritual consciousness. And I had my friends and parties and everything about my life was perfect. I had a great job. And so I, I just needed to fall in love and have my heart broken. And, and dating I, just ruined it all. That, yeah. that's, that's the key lesson for everyone here. Yes. Love, love ruined everything. All my perfect plans, my perfect life just destroyed. Um, and, and it's because it's all because of Malcolm. Um, so I had this very systematic program with dating because I, it doesn't come naturally to me. I had a points based competitive dating program that I had, um, I, I would say, perhaps pushed upon, foisted upon my coworkers, forcing them to compete with me so that I had some competitive um, encouragement to get out and date and get points for doing different things and making it to certain points on dates. And I also had a points-based system for determining if someone was worth a second date that was very helpful for me because I was too much of a coward to turn people down after one date. And I dated quite a few men before I met Malcolm and Malcolm just stood apart from them, which shattered my reality, I guess you could say. Um, and, and, and what you, I could just describe what he did when I sat across from him and you'll realize why he was not your typical first date. He sits across from me over dinner and he says, well, I'm not really looking to date right now. I'm looking for a wife and I expect to find her this fall at Stanford where there's the largest pool of pre-vetted candidates. He then proceeded to tell me what his life was all about, why he believed what he believed, what he was going to achieve with his life, uh, what his values were. And I was just floored by someone not only so honest with me, um, because I mean, pretty much every guy I had dated had wanted something pretty specific, you know, from a date, but none of them ever came close to voicing it. And here's someone sitting across from me telling me that he wants a wife and, and, and that he was so honest with himself and that he figured it out. But then what really shattered my reality was then he, you know, after telling me his whole thought through life plan and, and, and values and, and beliefs and then asked he asked me well okay now your turn what do you believe what do you want to achieve with your life and 
I told him the, the vague general things that anyone, I think, in, in a at least Silicon Valley where I was raised would say, which is that they wanted to be happy and help others make the world a better place and reach some higher level of spiritual attainment, you know, become one with the universe or whatever, you know, enlightenment or religious fulfillment in some way. He asked me to explain why I believed in all those things and valued those things and wanted that for my life. And when I actually came to ask myself why, I realized at that point, not only how shallow everything was and and how short-lived all the impacts that I thought I was making were, but also just how superficial, kind of narcissistic they were. All these, you know, make the world a better place, reach, reach enlightenment, whatever, that it was really just about ego and positioning within a certain social hierarchy. And that, that just killed my perception of myself, my perception of reality. And Malcolm helped me basically figure all that out for myself over the summer that we dated. I'm telling you, it was heavy. <laughs> it sounds like it. But I have a question because I want you to go on with the summer piece. But I want to ask Malcolm a question, um, partly of what you said, Simone. So you came with this goal already for this first date with Simone. Have you always been a very focused goal-setting person? Or did you have your own kind of like journey to get there as Simone said she decided she better you know, my, get her heart broke? My big goal thing was so trivial. I typically don't talk about it because it doesn't sound that impressive to other people, but it was actually in middle school. And I had to choose between going to play with other kids because they were going to have this StarCraft competition, which I really wanted to do, or study for a test. And I started thinking, oh, what do I want to do? Well, I mean, I suppose I could delay gratification and then maybe I'll have a chance, uh, like a certain probability attached to higher happiness in the future if I take this test. But then, oh my God, do I even really want happiness? But uh, if I gain more power by getting better grades in school and getting a better job, then I can use that to make the world a better place. But oh my God, what do I mean by the world being a better place? And I ended up not doing either. I just ended up like obsessing about this for years and reading all of this philosophy related to it. And I, I just came to realize that so much of the existing thought in a lot of these spaces is just sort of world views of other specific famous philosophers where they're like, okay, choose amongst these. And that was really unsatisfying to me. And I wanted to create a framework where anyone could use it to decide what they believed without accepting like whole cloth, some other person's set of beliefs. And, and that's how I came to this. But when I met Simone, you know, I'd been looking for years for a wife and I was trying to hit at least, you know, uh, five to seven dates a week that often meant, you know, three dates a day on weekends and just one date, one date, one date after another to pile them on top of each other. Because I, I felt that if I did a high throughput strategy, if I just met enough people, eventually I would find the right one. And it turned out I was right. But I had to scare off the bad ones really quickly by being as honest as I could. You both, in your own separate way before ever coming together, and Malcolm really powerfully just demonstrated that thing about you can't just quit, right? And so when you say there's this high throughput rate, a lot of people don't even do that. It's like, well, those first four didn't go. Maybe this isn't what I should be doing. drives us nuts. Oh, my God. This is something we could talk about forever. So it's like I'll talk to someone, and I'll be like, oh, you're looking for a husband or, or a wife or whatever. You know, a husband, right? It'll be like, yeah. And I'll be like, okay, so how often do you go on dates? And they're like, you know, I go on a date every couple of weeks. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
if I asked you, you know, you're applying for a job and you say, yeah, I apply for a job every couple of weeks, you know, you'd understand that you're not going to get a good job, right? Or if it's like, oh, well, you know, I tried that online dating thing for a bit, but I had a few bad experiences. And it's like, that's the thing, oh, I had a few bad interviews in a row when I was looking for jobs online, so I just stopped looking for jobs online. It's like, that's not a, that's not a choice if your realistic goal is to end up with a good job. It's not a choice to stop dating through a specific pathway just because you have a few bad experiences. If your realistic long-term goal is a satisfying relationship. Well, what's extra alarming to us is, is the underlying way of living that it indicates, which is that most people just let life happen to them. And whatever it is that just hits them by chance or happens to fall in their lap is what they do, what they become, what they believe. And what we're strong proponents of is, no, no, don't just accept what life throws at you. Don't just believe what you grew up hearing actually go out and find what you believe and want. But I think you're such an interesting case is you were willing to put in the motivation. You know, you have the hard work ethic to find the guy that you wanted and everything like that and the system of dating and everything. But, but as soon as I started scratching the surface of why you wanted those things, there was nothing really beneath that. We're for the people who already have the, you know, the work ethic to achieve what they want. And we're like, but specifically why and then specifically how? I mean, the story after I first met Simone gets really interesting there. Well, take us on a journey. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, right. So Malcolm asked me what I believed. I told him. He asked me why. I realized, oh, my God, there is absolutely no reason aside from the fact that that's just what everyone around me talks about. So I, I took a lot of time to soul search and research what everyone else had said and what I believed and what I decided was real about reality. And that's something that we talk about a lot, actually, in the book that we wrote, The Pragmatist's Guide to Life, um, is, is what, what standard of evidence will you use to determine what you believe and what you will take as, as information that you use. So I took a lot of time to figure that out for myself. And then I, I reported to Malcolm, because um, he was the only one I could trust to give me feedback. And I said, okay, here's what I want to achieve. I'm totally going to go for it. I'm going to give it everything that I have. And he, he vaguely gestured in my direction. And he said, and you think you're going to achieve it like that. And okay, to be, to be fair, I, I was wearing a, a vintage dirndl at the time, which I thought was charming. The previous day, I'd probably worn my rayon taffeta vintage dress. And the day before that, maybe the Harajuku street fashion jumpsuit that I had that was hot pink with ears on a hood and everything else. I, I dressed very flamboyantly, like costumes every day, because people liked it and they thought it was funny and, and they smiled at me. And, you know, it's just like a thing, you know, a Silicon Valley manic pixie dream girl look. But Malcolm helped me realize with that point that it, it's one thing to figure out what you want with life. And then it's another point to actually pursue it effectively. And what he showed to me is that a big element of how we pursue that is how we both see ourselves internally, but also how we present ourselves externally. So we created literally a character sheet of the kind of person that would achieve the goals that I'd set out for my life and, and really live the values that I'd selected for myself. No, we really, you, I mean, you went through the LinkedIn of a bunch of women who had achieved what you wanted to in life or near what you wanted to in life, or at least reached positions where they could achieve it if they felt like it. Right. And then I, I looked at and the way you, that they dressed, how they did their hair, how they, and where they went to school. And I, we used that as the basis of a character sheet for... And even vehicles to them talking, their accents, everything. And she's like, this is my accent. This is what I drink when I go out. 
this is the way I dress. This is what my background is going to be. And, and she just completely rebuilt herself around this and the amazing speed at which it affected her life. Within about four months, she went from a social media manager, you know, basically somebody who ran their Facebook pages at this company, to being director of marketing and running a team of 20,000 freelancers. And within six years, you know, as of today, um, she now is CEO of a company that does, you know, over $100 million a year in sales. And uh, the writer, the, the, one of the authors of a best-selling book. It's, it's bizarre, but it's surprisingly effective doing this. It is the path that oftentimes, you know, and other folks who really try to help and coach and what I would say, like help people get from where they are now to where they say they want to be is really that gap of if that's what you want, then you need to understand what that entails, right? So all the stuff you did, Simone, with your character sheet about what do those people do? How do they dress and act? Because you're changing where you are now, which when we have a goal that's different, it means we don't want to stay exactly where we are. That's a really interesting journey. We, so how did you go from doing all of that to writing your book? Well, after we saw me transform and the effects of that transformation, Malcolm basically said, oh, oh do me. So we started adjusting each other. Um, and it became more of a, a process of, all right, what was it that we actually did that worked? You know, because we made a lot of changes at once. It's hard to tell from an empirical standpoint exactly what it was that made a difference. So we, we really started experimenting with and testing with different methods and approaches. And we started out writing this book, honestly, as a guide for our children. Because we're like, this is so useful. This is so transformative. We want our, our children to be able to, to, to do this from the start, because if we had known all that we figured out now from the beginning, we could probably have achieved a lot more by this age. And then we realized, oh, you know what? We really value intentional action and thought and, and considering other viewpoints, which is also what this, this process really leads to. And, it, you know, one way that we can achieve that is to share, share it with everyone. So then that's, that's where we decided to just create and publish a book that we share with everyone. Yeah, which we put under our nonprofit. So, you know, none of the profits from the book go to us. It, it, I mean, we're not, you know, your typical sort of self-help gurus where they're using it to promote, you know, some other brand they have. For us, you know, we run a really successful, you know, uh, sort of corporate empire. Um, we want this for people because we think that it will improve their lives. But the caveat here is that because of that, you know, what we're selling in our book and, and, and the process we give people is a hard, painful process that requires long, extended thought and, and specific pronounced thought, as well as significant real world actions to change who you are and realizing that you really might not be okay who you are today. And that's something that's really you know, antithetical to a lot of uh, the self-help movement, which is sort of meant to make people okay with who they've allowed themselves to become. So say that I'm starting, you know, I have the book. Actually, I do have the book. I bought the book, um, <laughs> but I have not read the book. So say that I'm going through that and I get the benefit, I'm making this up, but I get the benefit of having one or both of you as my reflection, my coaches on my journey. What's one of the first things I'm going to need to do? The very first thing you need to do is decide what we call your objective function, which is sort of like the word purpose, but it's not the word purpose because, 
uh, a purpose is something that you can complete, whereas an objective function is something you maximize. Right. And an objective function can be a weighted combination of many different things. So, for example, you might decide, okay, I want to strive for my own happiness in life, but I also want to make other people happy, but I value my own happiness twice as much as the happiness of other of any other, uh, specific other person, but I also, you know, want to make God happy, and I also, you know, yeah, or I also want to, you know, expand my consciousness, you know, so you, you sort of create this weighted set of things you want to maximize with your existence, and then using this function, which is like another word for formula, um, you can put in any set of environmental stimuli, which is basically the stuff you experience in your daily life, and determine the correct course of action in response to that. But deciding your objective function is a, a, a deeply difficult and philosophical journey that is sort of worth approaching. And I think that uh, a lot of the ways that people approach these sorts of questions right now are a little, um, I'd say, loosey-goosey and non-committed. Like, oh, maybe I sort of think this, maybe I sort of think that. And that's not the position we come from. It's like, no, but... If you could give a dollar to another person and it would make them 1.5 times as happy as it would make you, would you give that dollar to that person? And a lot of people are like, oh, yes, of course I would. And I'm like, well, then why wouldn't you give away everything you own to, you know, starving people right now? Because you know that it would make them at least 1.5 times as happy as it would make you. And, and a lot of them are like, well, because that's super inconvenient to me. And it's like, well, then what do you really believe? Specifically, what do you really believe? Not how do you want to see yourself, not, you know, how do you want the world to see you, but what do you really believe and why? I'm, I'm just thinking about how, how that really is not just a one-time answer. You know, it's, it's almost like mm-hmm. that factor and, okay, if this, then why, why, why? Um, so that you can get to what you're actually after. But then I'm, I'm intrigued by the factor analysis and having a formula that that actually holds your feet to the fire to say, really, you know, does that? Well, yeah. And we, we also encourage thought experiments that, that I think work as really useful litmus tests. Because sometimes you think that you really want one thing. Like, let's say I think what I want to maximize in life is perfection. And you may give me then a thought experiment to test that. You may say, okay, Simone, what if I said I could make you perfect right now? You could just immediately be perfect would you accept my invitation? And I may then feel some cognitive dissonance. I may feel like, wait a second. No, that's not right. Cause I didn't earn it. And then you'd say, okay, well, how do you earn it? And I'd say, well, through hard work and dedication. And then maybe it comes out that I don't actually want to maximize perfection. Maybe I want to maximize the struggle, the hard work that I go through, the amount of, of, of calories I burn in an attempt to become perfect. And, and if that's the case, I should live very differently. It's not just a series of formulas because sometimes you may think that there's something you want to maximize or I like this thing 2.3 times more than I like the other thing and I, I want to weight them properly in my formula. First, you just have to figure out, and I think it's, it's pretty easy with the right thought experiments, what actually you care about. And it gets pretty simple after that because you'll find that there's a lot of things you think matter to you that ultimately there's other things that rank higher. Does that help a person when they've already thought that even if they haven't moved a lot further forward towards what they want. It would seem to me that having that thought process and getting clear about those things, as you said, it simplifies, but it also would help simplify just the mental chatter. You know, when you were talking earlier, 
Malcolm about being being in middle school and then thinking about two choices until ultimately doing nothing, you know, that feeling of having all these options and should I do this or that? What I'm wondering is if you get clear in this way, if that doesn't just even cut that chatter because you're clear about what you're going after and who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. You know, absolutely. I really couldn't. I, I think that that's such a, a, a huge benefit of this. And when we sort of promise people, oh, yeah, if you take this path, it, you know, success becomes pretty trivial, or at least success in the eyes of society. I mean, given what we've done in our lives, we're pretty successful for our age in the eyes of society. But um, the reason why we've been able to do that is because there is none of this mental chatter. We know what we need to do. And when we want to procrastinate or we want to do something else, we're able to take that decision. Do I go out partying tonight or do I continue working on the company or do I get, you know, we're able to take that decision and then apply a simple heuristic to it and not stress about it. Uh, and, and I think it comes back to that very simple sort of middle school decision of do I go play this game with my friends or do I study for a test? And then what heuristic are you applying to make that decision? That's what it's all about. And, and everyone should know the heuristic they're applying to make a very simple decision like that. The cool thing is it makes FOMO completely non-existent in your life. You, you don't worry about missing out on something because if it matters to you, you're doing it. What I'm noticing and also and from talking to people is just the speed with which stuff comes at us and we're having to decide, yes, mm -hmm. no, yes, be here, don't be here. If I don't do this, what's the implication of that? Just having that clarity is um, so beneficial. Absolutely. Have you had folks kind of walk through this on their own and give you feedback or what are the places, I guess, what I'm asking is what places do you find people find a sticking point? We originally built this as a sort of cognitive behavioral therapy like model and not as a book. So the original version of the book was actually a model that we went through and we went through it with a, you know, a number of friends and everything like that to sort of help them come to their own conclusions. And we were hoping to sort of spread it like that because we thought that was the only way we could help people. And so, you know, we, we have been able to really fine tune the model to a point where anyone can go through it, whatever the background they're coming at this from. Um, the only real difficult thing is a lot of people will come to it and they'll say, this is hard. I want to stop. Or this is unpleasant. And we're like, yeah, we know it's unpleasant. You know, changing your mind is always unpleasant. So that's, that is where it sort of falls apart. And that's where most people drop out when they drop out is they're like, oh, I actually have to make these decisions? Like, you're not going to tell me what to believe? And it's like, no. Um, and, and I think a lot of people see themselves as somebody who doesn't want to be told what to believe. But in reality, even though we see ourselves as somebody who doesn't want to be told what to believe, we really do. Even I do. I just want someone to say, okay, Malcolm, this is what you do. This is the way it works. Everything will work out if you take this path. And that's what so much of the self-help movement is about. So when people reach that place, what advice do you have for them, especially if they're on their own? Because I recognize that, Simone, you said, you know, you're doing this and you would check back with Malcolm because you trusted him, right? And he was the person you could bounce it off of. But it's possible that one of our listeners grabs your book and says, yeah, I'm at a place in my life where I am ready to do this. But they may not have a Malcolm or a Simone. How would you recommend for them to get that kind of 
either accountability or I'm not sure the best word for it. That's why I'm bouncing it back to you. I think accountability is a great word for it. We, we've got two things that we've set up for that. One, and it's still in its early stages, so we need to reach a critical mass before it's even more useful, but it's a social club where in major cities we're starting to build up groups of people who want to go through this but need the help of someone else. We also say in our book that if you want help going through the process and you want to have a friend to go through it with you and maybe there's someone that you, you do kind of trust to, to be willing to go through this process, we'll send them a free copy. Uh, all you have to do is submit their email and we'll send it straight to them. So we're trying to accommodate that, but we can't pull someone through the process of thinking critically about what they really believe. And I think there's a lot of people who just aren't willing or they don't have the energy to do it. And we see this with behavioral economics as well. There are only so many points in people's lives, in the average person's life, where they're willing and able to actually change the way they see the world and change their beliefs. And it's usually in between a major turning point, graduating from high school or college, moving to a new city for a new job, after the death of a spouse or a, a really key person in your life after completely, you know, relocating to a new country for whatever reason, um, have a, after having your first kid, those are the turning points where it seems more possible for people to try things like this. And it's, it's, it's hard and devastating to me that, it, that many people just can't, it seems, bring themselves to do it. But I think everyone has it within them. And, and we're, we're willing to chat with someone if they want. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're not like a full therapy sort of a thing, but if somebody just wants to email me at Malcolm at pragmatist.guy, you know, I'm, I'm willing to chat with them about any sort of big questions that they're struggling with. And he does have monthly check-in calls with, you know, friends of ours who, you know, we're going through the process and we're, you know, we're trying to be that sounding board for them. So it's, it's certainly something we do. And any of your listeners who feels like they don't have someone they trust enough for that, and, and if they trust us enough, we, we would be honored by that trust and we'd be super keen to help. I think that's a great offer because I know in coaching um, folks and in groups, that's often the piece to hear someone else say, you know, we can make excuses and, or get scared and not push through and someone else will actually have pushed through that week or month or whatever and go, okay, I'm just backing off and I need to dig in, you know, and do the work. Yeah. And so I think it's helpful. And I, and sometimes better with people we don't know because they, they don't give us our easy outs. I really am enchanted with both of your individual thought processes that led you to one another and your intentionality, I guess, is what I would say about that. Um, and separately, I want to ask each of you this question. And I'm going to start with you, Simone. If you were going back and talking to Simone at 12, knowing what you know now about the short time ahead of you before you start, you know, deciding that you're not going to, you know, be married and all of that, but you're going to date and check. Was there any advice you would give your, that young, Simone? No. I mean, I have a sort of, I don't, I don't know if the word, the right word is deterministic, but I, I, I don't think that there's anything I would change about what I've done in the past. I, I always acted as optimally as I could, given the information I had, which is one reason why we really wanted to get this book out, because we just don't think there's anyone saying, hey, you could decide for yourself what you believe. Isn't that kind of nifty? Like, no one says that. They just assume that you're, you need to be happy or help people or whatever their agenda is. 
one thing I do a lot is I write letters to myself in the future, four months, five years, 10 years. And I, I constantly receive these letters from the past. And I really like them because they help me stay honest to the concept of me that I think really represents my values instead of the human that I am, which is flawed and gets hungry and bored and wants to give up. Um, and I, I really, rather than focusing back on the past and what I wish I knew, I like to focus on the future and hold myself accountable for the lessons that I should have learned and the, and the changes that I want to make. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Malcolm, what about for you? Well, that's, that's such a scary question to me. Interacting with myself in the past at all is terrifying to me because I like my life right now so much. I'm afraid that if I change, you know, even the flap of a butterfly wing, everything could turn out differently. I might not meet Simone. I mean, the number of random decisions I had to make to, I mean, yes, I did try and meet every single woman in the San Francisco Bay Area, but she was a little outside of my perimeter. Um, so it was weird that I ended up meeting her and it only happened because she reached out to me first. You know, there's successes that you make in life that, um, you know, it may seem trivial after you've done it, like, you know, going to Stanford Business School. Um, but that even if I'm at the top of, you know, my college program and stuff like that, it's still a roll of the dice. And somehow all of those rolls of the dice ended up in my favor. And so I'm not willing to screw with the past. <laughs> that's, that's sort of my response to that question. If you mean generic advice I could give to somebody around my age who wasn't me but was alive today, the core thing that I think that people need to accept that our society doesn't really get across to people is there are two big major decisions you get to make in life. And they are yours and you have ownership over the results of those two decisions. One is what you believe that, you know, can be anything from politics to religion to specific political points to the way you think people interact to the value of friends, you know, you get to choose all of those things. And you can just default to whatever, you know, the subculture that has accepted you believe, or you can make those decisions on your own. Um, obviously, we say you should make those decisions on your own, but you know, it's your choice at the end of the day, and you need to take responsibility for that choice. And the second is you get to choose who you are. You know, you don't, get to be somebody who, you know, gets mad and, you know, yells at someone and then say, oh, I have no control over that. That's just who I am. You choose who you are. And yes, if you don't choose who you are, then who you are is influenced by, you know, environmental stimuli you experienced in the past, you know, your experiences, your family, things that were subjected upon you. But at any point, you can choose, okay, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be somebody else, and this is who I want to be. And through systematic effort, you can change that person. So you have ownership over what you believe and who you are, and you can never blame any of those things on somebody else. You've both been really generous about offering for folks to reach out to you, and I imagine people will. Where is the best place for people to find your book, number one? And how do you want people to reach out to you? So we sell our book, I mean, because it's a nonprofit, you know, we don't make money off of it for as little as we can on Amazon. So that's, you know, 99 cents for the ebook and I think like 650 for the physical book. And uh, if they're going to reach out to us, you know, Malcolm or Simone, 
at pragmatist.guide is a great email address or Malcolm or Simone at the pragmatistfoundation.com is another decent address. Um, and they can also sort of sign up for the various things we're trying to create for them, like the social club and stuff, but, you know, we need to build up a bit more critical mass for anything that's not a major city right now. So my last question is, what is next? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this as a two-parter. One is Malcolm is working on our next pragmatist guide, and it is to relationships, and it is juicy. It's super fun. Um, super offensive. It's very offensive, but in the best possible way, because we find offense as, as the perfect sign that we could be wrong and that there's perhaps better information that we can assimilate. Um, the other thing that we're really excited about is we want to – after, I mean, after making our, our business that we're running now called TravelMax, which is a travel company. It, it, by the way, if anyone ever wants help, just email us at CEO at TravelMax.com and we can help them book a cool trip or do corporate travel or anything. But so once we make TravelMax successful, we want to start a huge family. And um, so we have this whole industrial child rearing plan involving, you know, freezing fertilized embryos and then having as many as we can and raising them in a remote region that's inexpensive. And yeah, we want to have a giant family. So that's a big initiative in the works as well. Some of the key things I'm taking from you all is the intentionality, pushing through, you know, and, and not just waiting for things to happen to you, but being really deciding what you think and who you are and being accountable to that for the life that you create. Would you say that's true? Yes, we want people to take ownership of themselves and their beliefs. And I'm not going to say that that's going to be the easiest path in life because it hurts to know that you failed or that you're inadequate sometimes and that you have to fix things. But it's also the most empowering thing you can ever do. Malcolm, anything you want to add to that? No, I just love the way Simone said it. You know, basically, is so, so much of the advice we hear in society is, you know, learn to love yourself. But I'm like, you know, there's a lot of terrible people out there who really shouldn't love themselves. Yeah, maybe you should become someone who earns your love. I, I wouldn't tell a stranger, you know, or my wife, oh, you've just got to learn to love me. You know, I've got to be better. I've got to be somebody who deserves that love. And you've got to be somebody who deserves your own love. And you can be that person, but it's work. I want to thank both of you for taking time out to be on the show. I, I will tell you that what you've shared is fresh and different, I think, than um, what some of the listeners have heard before. Although I do know there's a couple of guests who probably should meet you just for fun because you oh, share similar. You should introduce us. I might just do that. Yeah. That's one of my fun things to do. So, um, but I'll do that offline. Well, thank you. And again, thank you both for taking time to be with us all today. And we'll let you know when this goes live. In the meantime, go out and just be your awesome pragmatist self. <laughs> Will do. Thank you so much for, for speaking with us. You asked some really thought-provoking questions and we had a blast. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. So that's it for this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>